Eagles Entertainment. With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft Podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft Podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and I'm excited this week. We've got a lot of college football action to break down. Week one is in the books. Week two coming up here uh, just in a few days. Really, really excited for some of the big-time matchups we've got in this weekend of college football. We're going to start things off really recapping one of the best games of the weekend in Florida State, Boise State, with my guy Ben Fennell here in Saturday Scouting. We'll talk about where he's headed this weekend as well and preview a couple of big matchups to watch in college football. We'll do the same thing with Tony Pauline and Draft I know Tony's got a little bit of juice for us uh, on the, uh, the the information, the breaking news front, uh, Tony, as he always does this time of year. So we'll get to Tony in draft buzz. Then we will break down a player that's going to be very involved in one of the highlight matchups of the weekend, and that's LSU defensive lineman Richard Lawrence in scouting report. You don't want to miss that. A guy that I just got a chance to watch recently who was a big fan of his game. And we'll wrap it up with a question from you at home in our draft mailbag segment. But let's get things started here. Saturday scouting with Ben Fennell. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, well, let's get things started here on Saturday Scouting. We're going to recap, Ben, what we saw last week. Boise State, Florida State, you happened to be at one of the best games of the weekend. It was a star-studded weekend, uh, a lot of really fun games, but uh, the Boise State-Florida State game, you were there. I watched most of it uh, on TV. Really, really fun matchup. I thought it was one of the more exciting games of the weekend, not to toot our own horn. Obviously, it was my crew. We got moved from the ESPN Prime spot, yep. 7 p.m. in Jacksonville, to noon at Florida State, right. ESPN News. So as a crew, I'm sure the ratings really weren't where we wanted it to be. But one of the more exciting games of the weekend had everything. Big plays, turnovers, huge hits that come from behind, uh, young players, young freshmen, a couple NFL prospects in there. But it was an exciting game. What was the atmosphere like? Because obviously the game wasn't supposed to be in Tallahassee. So uh, was there a little bit different than the normal game? It was game? very interesting, actually. The whole stadium was $10 general admission. Okay, nice. So that meant the kids were lining up first – First thing in the morning, early, because yep. you could get down there for good seats. But the whole stadium was general admission. Hmm. So that meant Florida State fans were mixed in with Boise State fans. They didn't have the sections kind of... Uh you know, partitioned off, partitioned yeah. off, like you would have a visitor section sure, to keep right. kind of your boys apart there. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting that the Boise State's colors were the Florida Gator blue and orange. Oh. So it's very interesting to see all those Seminoles and, for lack of better words, that Florida kind of blue mixed yep. in there. You don't see very often. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, if you listened to last week's segment, you were well ahead of this matchup. Like you, you talked about Ben uh, a number of the players um, that really played key roles mm-hmm. in this game on both sides. So uh, for those of you listening at home, this is why you listen to the Journey to Draft podcast because uh, we're gonna get a, we got a heads up on some of these names. But my first question always will be for you from the game that you did. Give us your game ball. Who deserves the game ball, Florida State versus Boise? It's tough to not give it to this true freshman, Hank Bachmeyer. I agree. First ever true freshman to start an opener for Boise State. On the road, nonetheless, was supposed to be mm. a neutral site in Jacksonville in Florida. Is it neutral it's site? Not really. Yeah. But all of a sudden, it is an away game. Yep. True freshman against Florida State. Probably the best talent and speed you'll see on the field all season long, being a Mountain West school out in Boise. But he took an absolute beating in the first half and still hung in there in the second half. Mm. Still extended the play, kept his eyes down the field, 400 yards passing. Then he came back from a 16 or 18-point lead on the road, use his legs in the second half to scramble around, break the pocket, keep his eyes down the field, and get the ball out. Very impressive for a true freshman. Once they got the the helmet strap figured out in the first half, I think he was all right. He lost his head like three times. Yeah, it's not that he was taking huge hits, just his straps weren't tight enough. So it kept rattling around like a bobblehead. His mom was in the stands. We had a camera on her. It's all sorts of emotions and reactions in the first half. Yeah, Obviously living and dying on every play. Her son taking big hits and coming from behind and just uh, watching her emotions was a lot of fun. Um, so we also talked about uh, one of the biggest players from this game, and I think from an NFL draft standpoint, I would say the guy that no one, I mean, no one, no podcast in the country last week was talking about Florida State's Hamza Nazardine, uh, the linebacker, a converted safety. You talked about him in the preview as a guy that we needed to watch 
Turned out you were right, and this guy made plays from the very first play. I texted you watching the game. He I was showed like, up great right call. away. Right, and it's, and this is why you listen to the journey of the draft, yes. to find the names and find guys to watch during the game, and let's see if they show up. And that opening drive, bam, huge force fumble. Nasser Ladine on the play. Yes. A couple plays later, the freak shoe explosion. Guy blew up a shoe. Yeah, just like Zion Williamson. Kind of tweaked his calf or his knee or his ankle. Was a little spooked there, but came back in the game. Finished with 12 tackles. A nice PBU in the red zone. Not sure if he got his hand on the pass, but you saw those long arms kind of disrupt Mm. the catch point uh, down in the red zone. Good-looking kid. I was talking to our sideline analyst, Tom Luganbill, in pregame. Just said, what do you got on Nasser Ladeen? Luganbill's very tied into the high school recruiting scene. He said... This kid's every bit the player that Isaiah Simmons is at Clemson. Mm. Yep, that's they're, what you said last week. And they're clones. They look almost identical. They're 6'4", they're long, they're just a shade under 220, more of that athletic linebacker yep. coming down and playing those hybrid roles. That's what everybody wants in the NFL, a guy that can turn and run with some coverage instincts, tough kid, as we saw him stick his nose in there and force the fumble. Yep. They like to work him into pressure packages because they're the best athletes on the field. They go from 0 to 60 and from A to B in a hurry. So they're just guys you want in that nucleus of the middle of the field to make plays. I think this is a guy that's going to have a handful of picks, have a couple forced fumbles, a couple sacks, mm. a couple TFLs. When we're looking at the end of the day of the season, he's going to have a full stat sheet. Was it you that I was talking with recently that said uh, the difference between a versatile hybrid and a tweener? Yeah, we've kind of had that conversation. We're going to talk about a guy in a couple minutes here yeah. that kind of fits that mold as well. And okay. Somebody I get excited about is a hybrid, and someone that you're a little <laughs> bit confused on their positional fit okay. is a tweener. It's kind of funny, that whole conversational battle. It seems like Nazardine, and I haven't studied him at all. You've done a lot more work on him, and obviously you've seen him live. Seems like he's more in the former. Like, this guy has he's a hybrid. juice. He's yeah. a hybrid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's a hybrid. All right. Uh, the other guy that we <clears> talked <throat> about, this is a guy that you and I both watch, Boise State defensive end Curtis Weaver, a player uh, that I think has got some pretty good upside I was pretty intrigued by the summer still you know not a finished product showed up in this game yeah absolutely and while he didn't load up the stat sheet with TFLs and sacks his presence was known Mm. especially in the second half when Florida State got behind all of a sudden had to throw the ball he pinned his ears back drew a big holding call as Florida State was trying to rally down the field yep probably could have had a holding call two plays earlier on the right tackle um, but he was able to pin his ears back and he's just a really solid football player in the first half where was Curtis Weaver? What was going on? Actually built a package in the game. They scored two touchdowns, not blocking right, Curtis it's Weaver. Right, great package, yep. And it's always an interesting complex of a team. If we can't block a guy, let's not block him. Yep. Let's read him. Let's make him wrong. If he wants to fly inside, we're going outside. Maybe we can slow play his rush by making him read and think on the fly. One was a quick... Uh, Receiver screen to Tamori and Terry that he took 75 yards. Another was a little zone read that turned into a pass in the perimeter. Mm. But just clever concepts to not block Curtis Weaver. So I was just wondering, where was he in the first half? Florida State had a plan for him. Yeah, he was a guy that certainly showed up, even though the numbers weren't necessarily there. Announcers kept talking about him. You, yeah. got, you guys, uh, and the kept other thing, him. extremely well-spoken kid. Hearing him ah, at the podium really? after the game, okay. talking about his team, talking about how this team's always going to be viewed as an underdog, being a Mountain West team, kind of being that stepchild kind of team uh, when you show up to Power Five schools. But they embrace it, and they know, and they're ready to play. And mm. teams that underestimate them. They almost look forward to that challenge and yeah. almost embrace the underdog mentality when you show up to a Florida State team and people really aren't giving them a chance with a true freshman quarterback. This kid's a leader. He's a captain. He's well-spoken. Yep. Very impressive to hear him talk. See, like to me, that's really good to hear because whenever you talk, I mentioned earlier, not a complete player yet, and I still need uh, to clean some things up on film. When a guy has the character, the, you know, the, the leadership and the work ethic and things like that, that gives you a lot more faith that he's going to be able to reach that ceiling, that he's going to be able to improve on some of those things. Rarely do guys fully change when they're going from college to the NFL. They're not going to completely fix everything, but if they've got that work ethic and that character, that gives you the faith they'll be able to do so. And just to take this to a scout's perspective, when you show up on campus to study a player or to acquire information about a player, you want to acquire as much information as you can that you cannot find on the tape. Hmm. The limitations of the tape. That's what you bring as a scout. Or why you're showing up to campus. So you can meet with his position coach, his academic advisor, strength and conditioning coach, find out about his work ethic, find out about him as a person. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do as well. I'm watching warm-ups. I want to see their body types, things you can't see on the tape, and certain things. How do they talk? How do they hold themselves to the media and things like that? Those are all part of the equation with these players in Mm. assessing who they are, 
off the field and as human beings. Yeah, that's a, a huge part of the entire process. We see so often uh, around the league guys that don't have that, and that's a big reason why they don't work out. You know, some of the most talented players uh, that come out in the draft don't work out because they don't have that. And that's actually a little on. bit of something you had put me on to a couple of years ago and that you just like finding some press conferences and interviews of these right. players yep. because it's just all a little bit more part of the equation and how they hold themselves, how yep. they talk about themselves, how they talk about their teammates, how they speak, yep. body language, eye contact. That's all part of the equation of the person you're getting. Maybe not the player, yep. but the person matters too. Yeah, I mean, I, and it, it's just like any other job, right? I mean, uh, you know, whether no matter what field you work in, if you go on a job interview or if you are hosting job interviews and you have people coming in to audition for a job, you know, that that stuff matters. You know, the, that gives you faith that this guy's going to come in and do and do a good job. Uh, all that stuff comes into play. And it's not necessarily all oh, this guy's a great interview. It's just about how they carry themselves. Right. No, no question. A, a big part of the Because the, you can equation. find out about the player on the tape, but what about the man, the teammate, yep. the employee, the person, yep. the leader, no and question. that's all part of it as well. No question. So uh, my game ball, <clears> and again, I'm not going to touch the game that you did. My game ball uh, actually comes from Friday night. We had a huge, you know, a full slate of college football action uh, this past weekend from Thursday night all the way up through Monday night with uh, Louisville and Notre Dame. But uh, mine will be from Friday night, Wisconsin running back Jonathan Taylor. To me, one of the best overall prospects in the country. I think right now I would say him and Travis Etienne are my RB1, RB1A, or, you know, 1A, 1B, however you want to put it. Uh, but the big thing with me, with Jonathan Taylor, number one, we saw him as a runner. We've seen him as a runner over the course of his career. We know what he can do as a ball carrier. My big question coming into the year was, from uh, from a film standpoint, what is he on third down? They rotate him in and out there at Wisconsin. You know, they run the ball a lot, so they've got other guys that they'll kind of work in there. What is he as a pass catcher? What is he as a blocker? Came into the season, zero touchdown receptions in the year. Comes out of week one with two. So uh, you see him in the screen game. You see him kind of running running routes out there. Great play down in the red zone, kind of forcing uh, his will, getting into the end zone. Both in the first half, I awesome. believe, too. Yes, so it was clearly a priority of Paul Chris to get him involved in the pass game. Yeah, that was a big thing for me, was just seeing him heavily involved uh, in that area of the game. All right, uh, one play takeaway, Ben. Going, going back to Florida State versus Boise, what's one play that you're going to kind of walk away from this game and you're kind of filing away as something you'll always remember uh, going into the pre You know, it was process. a fun game. Florida State had tons of big plays in the game, and yes. I think that almost hurt them because they got crushed in time of possession. They were 1-12 on third down, couldn't sustain drives, yet they had these big plays here and there to keep them in the game in yep. the first half, and it looked like they were going to run away with it. And one of those big plays was a fourth and one play by Cam Akers mm. that I thought just encapsulates who Cam Akers is as a running back. He's a between-the-tackles runner with great vision, great contact balance. And there was an unblocked defender on this play, ran right into him, lowered his pads, stepped through the tackle, and ran the rest of the way to the end mm. zone. I think just making that defender miss, the contact balance, the ability to be creative and keep plays going, churning your legs, that's what Cam Akers is. Yeah. <clears throat> is. And he felt last year he was bouncing a little bit prematurely, was pushing a little bit, pressing, looking for the big play. And this year he really wants to get the tough, gritty yards, the between-the-tackles yards, those three, four-yard gains to keep the chains moving. Mm. And I thought that fourth down play really showed his intensity between the tackles, making defenders miss. He finished with 15 for 116 in the touchdown. I thought they should have fed him a little bit more yeah. late in the first half, early in the second half, as they had a lead uh, to help sustain some drives. And I thought that play really represented who he is a player. Yeah, you mentioned the, the, the imbalance there with the clock. I mean, to me, that's one of the dangers of being a tempo offense mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, if things don't go well a couple times, a couple series, now all of a sudden, and boys was able to grind them out a little bit yeah. uh, on the ground and, and control the clock a little bit. Uh, let me ask you this, because Akers, you know, kind of like Weaver, not a finished product. I think you and I probably on the same page in terms of what we saw from Akers last year in 2018. Did you get any kind of sense of what he's like as a kid? Yeah, you know, he's a really good kid off, off the field and seems to have a good head on his shoulders, had some really good self-assessment in his mm. play last year. And he was a tough evaluation last year. Their offensive line, they were a dumpster fire. The yeah. team was a dumpster fire. The quarterback yeah. situation was up in the air. I think he was second in the nation in yards after contact. 
All and right. first was Jacquez Patrick. A senior. There's yeah. a reason for that. Yeah. They were getting hit behind the line early yeah. and often. That's wild. Yeah. And how many play? How many players touch the football in the, in the entire country? And those two guys are lead. lead it makes lead for the a very tough evaluation for a running back. It's wild when the running scheme really isn't executed as it should be, and you get a lot of the evaluation points of can you create for yourself and yards after contact and things like that, but you don't get to see any real structured runs from yeah. him, which makes for a tough evaluation. And he was frustrated last year. He was pressing. He had a lot of uh, traffic in the garbage in the backfield to get after uh, and to get out of. And I think this year he just really wants to get those more productive runs. Mm. And if it's not there, take you know take the profit and keep moving. Uh, my one play takeaway will be uh, Aaron Fuller, the wide mm. receiver from the University of Washington. They destroyed Eastern Washington. Blowout win. We talked about Jacob Eason a couple weeks ago. Uh, he had a huge debut there for the Huskies. But Fuller... Great one-handed catch uh, in the end zone. I didn't watch the game, but just seeing the highlights, that kind of brings me back to what you see from Fuller uh, on tape from 2018. This is a guy that a little bit undersized. I wouldn't say he's a dynamic athlete, but he is awesome at the catch point. Mm -hmm. I like his competitiveness with the ball in his hands. I think he's got a knack for creating after the catch. He's not, again, not dynamic, but just has a really good mentality uh, with the ball in his hands after the catch and just really, really good uh, with his hands at the catch point. There There are some things I still like would like to see cleaned up. But I like Aaron Fuller, and I thought that play just kind of showed you what he can be uh, from a possession standpoint in the NFL. I thought he had some nice subtleties in his routes and his stems, his releases, coming back downhill to attack the football. Yep. I question his play strength. He gets knocked off just a little bit. You know, I kind of question uh, his just God-given abilities, whether he has that extra gear. I don't know if he does, yeah. But in that, in another sense, I almost like those guys that right. don't rely on pure speed or pure strength, that he has to be deliberate with every movement in his routes, his mm. release, his stems, in and out of breaks, catching the ball, attacking downhill, because he doesn't have those abilities to just you know, be smaller corners or to yep. fly past people. He's very much a technician. Yeah, you and I have talked about him a little bit in the past offline, and, uh, you know, we both kind of, we bounced around a few different names, and you know, Robert Woods and Golden Tate, and I think the one that we kind of settled in that, we li- that I liked most anyway was Sterling Shepard. Mm-hmm. I, I went back and looked at my notes on Sterling Shepard when he was coming out of Oklahoma before he was a second-round pick by the New York Giants, and a lot of the same likes and dislikes, you know, really good at the catch point. I wanted to see him be more consistent as a route runner. Wasn't sure about the long speed, but you know, he was really competitive, loved his yards after catch. There were a lot of things that I thought kind of mirrored each other with I those two players. I think he's that Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard type of player, but those are low 4-4 players that jump 40 inches. It's probably a little bit more in the Robert Woods mm. type of package and yeah. athlete, a little bit more of a deliberate route runner without those exceptional athletic traits. All right, so let me bring us back now uh, one final time to Boise State versus Florida State for a couple categories here. Off the bus guy. So every week I'm going to ask you about a player that, you know, when we say off the bus guy, what is that mean this is the guy if you're a coach you want this guy first off the bus the other team looks at it like who are we playing this week uh and this guy who's the most impressive from a physical standpoint that really really looked the part and purely a visual perspective no you question. know just what yes. they look like and i'm walking around pre-game warm-ups before they put their pads on watching yep. them get off the bus so trying to assess their body profiles and just really quick because i think he was one of my off the bus guys last year as well yes big marvin wilson number yep. one high school player in the country three years ago he's six five three eleven and Every bit of it. He's tall, he's long, but he's thick and built very mm-hmm. well. He's just a massive human being. This guy's got a lot of jersey on him. It's just weird because when I watched, you know, and I haven't studied him, but you know, we've, we've pointed up to me on film and I watch him. He almost has like a weird body type yeah. on film. So it's interesting that you see that he looks great. It's in person. these trench players, especially the nose tackles that wear the awkward numbers. He wears a he's number 21. 21. Yeah. Jordan Scott up at Oregon wears 34. Right. I think he's a 340, Jordan Scott, and yep. wears 34. It's just an awkward look. You know, certain Stretch numbers that too and that yeah, three make it look a little yeah, squattier. Right, right. But Marvin Wilson's got the bubble. He's got thick legs, really thick, long torso. Okay. He's a two-gapper with one-gap quickness. I think this guy's going to be a better pro. Interesting. He's a guy that I'm, I'm excited to study. And he, he flashed in the game as well. The yes. second he gets on a half lineman, you're not stopping this guy. He is powerful, explosive, and somebody, if you get into a one-gap scheme and you mm-hmm. let him get up the field, he is going to blow up backfields. Well, you mentioned that, that Boise State O-line not quite living up to on film to what you'd heard in kind of the press clippings, they could not block Florida State from a pass protection standpoint. No, and that's a certain type of talent. They just yes. don't see at Boise State. The yep. caliber of athlete going to Florida State is not traditionally what's out in the Mountain West. Mm-hmm. Nice group up front there. I think they've had a 1,000-yard rusher the last 10 years. Alex Madison, back-to-back 1,000-yard rushers. Yep. Um, three of them on the preseason Mountain West team of Phil Steele. Very good group, but Florida State's got some dudes. 
All right, let's get to the final, uh, my final category here for this game, and that's a down-the-road freak show. So a player that uh, you know isn't eligible, so not a junior or a redshirt sophomore or senior, obviously, uh, for the 2020 draft, but 2021, 2022, someone just kind of file mm-hmm. away for the future. Yeah, and just speaking of that, Florida State's always got some they dudes. Always they do, always yes. got some young guys, some five stars, some defensive backs. There's a really interesting safety linebacker, Jaden Lars Woodby from okay. Don Bosco. He's a five-star safety. Started 12 games last year as a true freshman. I just think this is that prototypical hybrid player the NFL's looking for. The safety body, the safety speed, the safety coverage instincts. Mm. But in a linebacker body, this right. guy's huge. He's thick, but he's well-built. He's athletic. He can run. He's a thumper. I think moving down to the box, you're going to hear this guy's name making some plays and lighting up some receivers over the middle of the field. So is uh, he a hybrid or a tweener? He's a hybrid. He's a, this guy's a hybrid. <laughs> hybrid yeah. right. There's All no right. question about this kid's ability. Um, but another one, highly touted recruit they got in last year, and they're just finding ways to get him on the field. Interesting. All right, well, uh, let's uh, unveil the secret. Where, where are you heading now for week two? First trip to Knoxville, Tennessee. Interesting climate, heading to the University okay. of Tennessee off of their loss to Georgia State at home last week. And they have BYU coming to town. Interesting okay. matchup. The only other stadium where there's a banner hanging up with uh, Reggie White's number uh, retired. Correct, yeah. Correct. Thought, what, does Green Bay have uh, Reggie's number retired? I'm not sure, actually. That's a good question. I don't think I anyone's say, been wearing 92. But. So, old uh, true story, back when I was at Temple, we uh, went down to Nashville for a coaching convention one year. I want to say this was 2009 or 2010, and we actually stopped in Knoxville on the way to Nashville and snuck into the stadium. We parked hmm. uh, We parked somewhere, like jumped a fence and snuck into the stadium. It was empty. It was the mid- it was January. They weren't playing at the time. Um, and it was a really cool stadium. We had a cool, cool town. I really like Knoxville. Yeah. I've heard great things about yeah. it. It's been on my bucket Enjoy. list. I've heard the, the, the tailgating atmosphere yep. and the stadium on the water. Oh, People the have their boats beautiful. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. No I'm not doubt. sure the climate's going to be too positive this weekend after <laughs> one of their no. worst losses in program history. Yeah, but they do have a couple players that are that are no while, and we we've talked about uh, Daryl Taylor. We talked about him last week because he was one of my top twenty-five seniors. In fact, I think he's what is he? My sixth senior. He's in my mm-hmm. top ten. Uh, a guy I think you and I. We kind of see him a little bit differently, but I'm excited. What are your thoughts now? I know you studied a little bit more of him this week leading into the game. He's a highly touted senior, and I think on the uh, National Scouting Service sheet, he's, I think, a top 10 rated senior heading into the year. I just, I'm just i a little concerned on what he is. Is he an outside linebacker? Is he a defensive end? And he's that tweener body where he's just over 6'3". Not a hybrid body. No, but he's just <laughs> under 260, so I'm at 6'3", 259. Right. And I'm just not sure what he is. I don't think he's a 4'3 defensive end at the next level. I'm not sure he has the athleticism to play out in space. Hmm. He looks like a Jordan Willis out of Kansas State or a Carl Lawson, a Dante Fowler, uh, Ben Banigou last year from uh, Texas Christian. Yep. I just think they're all much more advanced pass rushers. Um, so all the plays that I see of Daryl Taylor, I want more from him. I don't think he has that nuanced pass rush technique. And just when I'm ready to write him off, he whoops the right tackle at Georgia with a yep. speed rush and yep. a great first step and a bend around the edge and I think a little bit more of a speed rusher. Uh, that Georgia game is actually really interesting. He beat yes. Isaiah Wilson for a strip sack in the red zone. It was very impressive. Yep. Earlier in the game, beat tight end Isaac Nada for a strip sack. Coincidentally, Nada picked up that fumble and ran it ran for it a 31-yard touchdown. That's right. Yep. Not really sure how that goes down on the grade sheet. It might be a minus for pass pro, plus for awareness, plus for plus run for after yards catch. after catch. That, I mean, he broke like seven tackles on the play. It could have been deliberate now that I'm thinking about it. It might have been. The old let him sack that quarterback yeah. and then pick up that ball. Annexation of like to see how uh, that's, Athens, Georgia. Yeah, yeah, like right. to see how that's drawn up on the whiteboard. Right. But um, I'm just not really sure what Daryl Terrell is going to be at the next level. He reminded me a little bit of Texas A&M pass rusher Landis Durham last year. Man. Which, as a, as yeah. a junior, he had ten and a half sacks in the SEC. Yes, he did. Yes. Everyone was excited about him as a senior, and then he fell flat, really didn't have the production as a senior, went undrafted, and I'm not sure if he landed on a squad or not. But this kid had eight sacks last year. He's going to be right around eight sacks again. They need him to be the disruptor and the playmaker on the defense. I'm just not sure where he stands as far as a NFL prospect goes right now. So he's the guy that, you know, a week from now, I can't wait to hear your thought. If you've got any kind of buzz on how he's seen in the program and what he's like from a character standpoint, how he carries himself, because, you know, we talked about it last week. Uh, right now, going into a season, I am much more likely to bet on a guy's upside and mm-hmm. be optimistic mm-hmm. and kind of say, all right, like this is this is what the guy's working with. Let's see if he can just take that next step as a senior, his fo- final year on campus. So that's kind of how I view Taylor. If you'd say, ah, uh, you know, it, it didn't come back great or, you know, it's kind of uh, can go either way. 
I might fall back a little bit on him because I, I do like some of the things I've seen, but you're exactly mm-hmm. right. He's not a polished pass rusher right now. He still has a lot of work to do. I do like his upside, I think, a little bit more than you do. I saw him a little bit more athletic than like a Landis Durham, um, probably more like a, a Banigou style of athlete. I didn't think he was quite the athlete that he tested at the combine. Right. Uh, and he's not <clears> Josh <throat> Allen, although the backgrounds are very similar. Um, but I, I, I like Taylor a little bit. And right before we went on, I watched his hit tape. I just want to watch the eight sacks really quick. Yep. Just see how he made his money, just to get a refresher. Yep. But every sack has a bit of an asterisk next to it. He beats the Vanderbilt right tackle. Right tackle had the bad snap count. He didn't get off the ball. So, all right, that play doesn't count. Nice inside moves, but they brought perimeter fire, and the tackle didn't know who to block. Mm. So it looked like a sharp inside move, but it was really kind of a gimme sack. So it's a little bit of buyer beware with some of those productive, productive plays. But conversely, strip sack against Georgia, that doesn't go down in the stat sheet. Yeah. That goes down as a touchdown. Mm. So you have to really watch the full tape to kind of get a full appreciation of what he can do on the field. But I, I somebody we're a, a little bit divisive right now. He's yeah. 22 years old. He's a senior. He's the guy that needs to show up this week against BYU. Definitely of the players we've done in this class so far, the guy that you and I are bo- are most split on. But I'll just Which is weird because typically the long limb edge rushers aren't my style either. Right, I'm not right. the Josh Allen, Leonard Floyd type. Yep. I don't really like the finesse tackles. I like the Carl Lawsons and the Brandon Grahams and the greedy, squatty guys that are going to hold their ground. Just not sure he fits that mold. You're, again, you're a hater. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get to the, <clears throat> the other guys in that Tennessee defense. Uh, the safety, <clears throat> Nigel Warrior, and the uh, the linebacker, Daniel Batuli, as well, was on the Senior Bowl watch Yeah, list. just really quick, Nigel Warrior, high prospect, never quite lived up to what he was uh, coming into Knoxville there. He's a bit of a thumper once you get down in the box, a little bit undersized despite the thumping abilities. I'd like to see a little bit more coverage instincts on the yep. back end, but he's a senior. Uh, somebody that could probably be on Jim Nagy's Senior Bowl watch list. And Daniel Batuli, another senior, bit of a thicker linebacker. He's 6'1", 240, someone they're going to work into the pressure schemes on third down. He's not a guy that's going to go turn and run or play in space. They'll work into some interesting kind of twists and games with Daryl Terrell on third down, at least did last year. We'll mm. see what Jeremy Pruitt has uh, in 2019. Uh, and then BYU, they don't have a ton going for them on offense, but there is a junior tight end there. Uh, Matt Bushman, 6'5", 240 pounds. What can you tell me about Bushman? Yeah, he's interesting. He's athletic. Uh, two years ago, he had 49 catches in that offense. It's you get good. around 50 catches as a tight end in college sure. football, you're traditionally going to be in that top five, top ten of uh, production in tight ends. No doubt. Huge freshman year. He's married. He was on the baseball team back in 2017. Actually led all high school tight ends in receiving when he came out. When did he come out? I'm not sure. I think it was 2015 class. Uh, if it's 15, that's not. he's not that old. Then. Yeah. The, uh, that's, the, that's the worry. You start talking about the BYU kids. The BYU, is, you know, Utah yeah. kids, you're never really quite sure about the age and their, their missions and things like that. But he showed up last week at six catches for 62 yards in the loss to Utah. He's kind of the primary guy that's going to catch a lot of the balls over the middle of the field. Okay. So we'll see if he gets matched up against Nigel Warrior. Yep. Maybe can get a mismatch against a Daniel Batuli on some early downs. Sure. We'll look for uh, Matt Bushman over the middle of the field. They oh. also have Tyson Williams, running back, grad transfer from South Carolina. Okay. Not the most conventional transfer portal from South Carolina to BYU. You don't, hear, you don't usually hear that but one. But an no. SEC caliber running back hmm. out there at BYU that okay. could flash. All right, name to watch out for, uh, for sure. Let's go to the other side of the football. Tennessee's offense, a couple hmm. of interesting names. And I want to start <clears throat> with Trey Smith, the offensive lineman, a guy that you know really stood out as a true freshman in the SEC. He was definitely freshman All-American. It seemed like every week, by the time we got to like week three, week four, there were shots of this kid at his size just blowing people up in the trenches in the SEC. And again, guys that were draft picks. Um, So there was a lot of buzz going in to his sophomore season. I know he kind of bounced around different positions, and then the medical started to work in, and there was concern about whether or not he was even going to be able to play this year. He did get cleared. Uh, what are your thoughts on Trey Smith, and what are you hoping to Highly see this weekend? Highly touted prospect. Yes. He looks like he was built in an offensive line Petri dish. Yep. He looks like he was created in a lab. Now, the medicals are above my pay grade, especially when it gets into some more detailed stuff, lungs, blood clots. Yeah, it's blood clot. It was, it's, a, it's kind of a scary medical Let's situation. just draw a line in the sand. I have no idea. Yeah. I'm not a medical expert. If you yep. want to talk about some ACLs and things like that, I can contribute. But 
He's an impressive. Can you kid. really contribute? You'd like are you able to dive into the specifics? I mean, of we can ACL? talk. We can talk about it. I've seen ACLs. I've seen recoveries. I've yeah. seen kind of players pre and post. I have a semblance of the injuries. This and is the a effect. different deal, though. Yeah, the blood clots. I have no idea. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, but 2017 played some right guard. Yep. Played some uh, left tackle last year. Right. Came yep. in and played left guard last week, but in a rotational duty. Yeah. Uh, throwing on the tape. I'm not really sure what the rotations were. You don't hear the commentators on the tape, so I'm not sure if anybody lost a shoe or got injured. They have two highly touted prospects, two top 10 recruits on the offensive line they're trying to sprinkle in. Mm. One of them played some left tackle, left guard. One of them played right tackle. Trey Smith obviously worked in there as well. Great to see him down at the O-line Mastermind Summit yep. over the summer. No doubt. Uh, working on his craft and still trying to get better even with the... Big boy uh, in person. Very big. He's yeah. an impressive player. He he's thick in all the right spots and um, just if he's healthy and has all the medical stuff, he's probably going to be a first-round pick. Yeah. Um, but... Every team is going to try to poke and prod and figure out a little bit yeah. more about that medical stuff. No question. All right. Well, let's get to two of the senior receivers there because <clears> uh, <throat> I know I talked with our, our friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films. He studied uh, the senior wideout Marquez Callaway, who was a freshman All-American when he first came out. He was on my list uh, now for the last couple of years. 6'1", 196. Interested to get your thoughts there. But he was not on the senior bowl watch list. His teammate, however, Jawan Jennings, was on the senior bowl watch list. Give me your thoughts on, on those two guys and how you they know, complement each other. I have written down that he wasn't but if you go back he is on there now he is yes he is on there now which i was surprised i'm not sure if he was a late ad maybe i maybe i missed it when i no but i have written down i've written down he was not on there initially so but he is on there now rightfully so because he deserves it uh just a shade over six foot just a shade under 200 so he's about 6'1 190 195 also does some punt returning. Plays a lot of the X spot out there, which you would think that body type would be a little bit more of an interior sure, receiver, right. slot receiver over the middle of the field. But he actually was outside the numbers quite a bit. He's sudden, has great releases. He's fast. You That's why see he's at X then. The instant the speed. Yeah, yep. Take the top off the defense. The only thing is he's just a little bit slight. So when he plays some of those big boundary corners, he get knocked off his route stem. He has mm. troubles getting off press. Um, I question his play strength. Not many yak opportunities despite the return abilities. I would mm. like to see them just get the ball in his hands a little bit easier. And he had some tough grabs and then some easy drops. So I right. kind of question if he has those natural hands. Did have a Hail Mary last year at the end of the first half against Kentucky. Uh, last week at 3 for 46 and a touchdown, a okay. nice 30-yard punt return. Apparently from a military family too. Great family. Okay. Uh, good family structure as well. Was a big recruit in Georgia. Doesn't have the numbers. Doesn't have huge numbers in that offense. Was a little bit clunky last year with the quarterback and the accuracy. So somebody that I'd like to see show up to the Senior Bowl and yeah. see how he uh, handles those one-on-ones. How about uh, Jennings? Jennings, different body type. He's 6'2", 208. Was actually a converted quarterback. Was the number six dual-threat quarterback. Really? Uh, behind Sam Darnold, behind Kyler Murray. Okay. Very touted names, group, yeah. highly touted group of dual threat quarterbacks, but they had uh, Garantano in that same recruiting class Got that okay. they kind of anointed to be the starter in the future. Jersey kid. Yep. So he switched over to receiver. Showed up last week at seven for 108 and a touchdown. Had the Offensive Achievement Award last year at the end of the season banquet. Somebody the team really uh, values. Showed up as a freshman, had the mm. game winning Hail Mary against Georgia in 2016. Really? That and was him? Yep. Um, and there's plenty of NFL it was players. Crazy catch, yeah. yeah. Plenty of NFL players in that little pile there from DeAndre Baker and some safeties. This kid's a big body, big frame. He's broad. He's got good length, good speed. He's aggressive after the catch. Really good adjustment on passes behind him on inbreakers and back shoulders. Reminds me a little bit of like a Javon Walker or Devontae Parker style what a name. body. Okay. Yeah, very broad receiver. I think Javon Walker was also a converted quarterback back at Florida State, Ooh, if I'm not sure. I'd all have right, to look that right. up as well. Ruben Randall type of body. Okay. Tall, I usually long, like these kind of guys. Yeah, yeah, guys that kind of, you almost want a smaller cornerback tight to you so you right. can jump over them and really use your leverage and your size. Good looking player, though. Another guy I'd like to see show up at the Senior Bowl. I'm not sure how this offense is going to click in 2019. Mm-hmm. The quarterback situation, he's not as accurate as I would hope. The offensive line sounds like we have a lot of moving parts yep. and young kids mixed in there. That could be a recipe for a boom season as well when you get some new blood in there. They also have a highly touted running back, four-star from Nashville, Ty Chandler. Okay. And in a very, very impressive running back class with Najee Harris, Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, Stephen Carr, the number five running back was Ty Chandler. 
And he had a couple okay. impressive runs last week, a couple big plays. All right. They need to feed this kid in the offense. All right. And then they've got, I know they have another uh, quickly, the tight end senior, uh, Dominic Wood Anderson, who was on the watch list yeah, as well. Yeah, just really quick. He was a high school quarterback, was actually the number one, one Juco huh? right. tight end uh, two years ago. Okay. Just didn't really work him into the offense last year. Only had mm. 17 catches. Occasionally, we'll try to split him out wide and isolate him. Um, but they just couldn't get him on the same page. He has good hands, but he's not the best athlete. But he's big. He's thick. He's 6'4", mm. 260. He looks like a... Uh he almost looks like a Kendall Blanton out of Missouri last year. Okay. More of a thicker tight right. end, but he's got the nice hands. He's yep. a good red zone target. Um, he had a really nice block last week on the Ty Chandler touchdown run. He gets good movement on linebackers and safeties. More of a move tight end that, you know, kind of work into some mm. blocking on the perimeter okay. and also leak him out and just, uh, you know, get him some run after catch opportunities. All right. Well, that's because uh, that's I like had the Kendall uh, three for 79 Blanton. last week, and they leaked All him right. out vertically. So someone that could kind of work his way a little bit more into the offense. He had 17 for 140 all of last year. Already that's three for 79. Sure. Yeah, so that's good. almost a half the production in one game. Somebody that I think is going to uh, – Start to work into the national conversation as far as tight end prospects. Mm, so one last name to look at. Yeah. Uh, so uh, every week I'll also share a matchup. We're, we're going to hit some matchups uh, next in the next segment with Tony Pauline, but I also want to throw a matchup at you because I know uh, one of these players is a guy that you've watched, and that's the Vanderbilt running back Keyshawn Vaughn. Vandy uh, taking on Purdue this week, uh, and they've got a senior linebacker in Marcus Bailey that I had a chance to study recently. I like Bailey. You know, he's he's kind of similar in some ways to uh, an undrafted rookie that made the Eagles roster in TJ Edwards. And I would say, you know, if you're going to take a sliding scale and say, okay, Edwards was here in the run game, I would say Bailey's probably, you know, a little bit below that, but he offers a little bit more in coverage as well. He's got good spatial awareness. He's not a plus athlete, but he's more than good enough, and he makes some good plays on the football, instinctive. I like his play recognition against the run and pass. I like his motor. He's just got a feel for playing the position. So I kind of like Marcus Bailey, even though he's not the high upside of, you know, a Dylan Moses or even like what it seems like Nazardine or any of these other high-end athletes at the position and Isaiah Simmons, but I think you look at Bailey, this guy knows what he's doing uh, playing downhill at the point of attack, and Keyshawn Vaughn is a burner, man. I mean, he's a home run hitter. Uh, I know you did one of his games last year, uh, a guy that can that can take it the distance anytime he's out. I think all you have to do is put on that first quarter of the Florida game yeah. last year. He right. unfortunately got hurt in that game, but I think he took a screen 75 yards, another run 60 yards. You could see his ability in the open field, the vision, the toughness, the speed. Not the sexiest name in as far as SEC running backs sure, go, right. but a productive player, a solid player, a senior. Um, and Marcus Bailey, in- interesting player playing behind uh, big Lorenzo Neal's kid at nose tackle That's right. there, uh, number nine. A lot of black and gold in this game. A lot of black and gold. I'm assuming one of those teams will be wearing uh, Did Riley Neal get the start for uh, Vandy last week? I didn't, even see. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see, even either, see But interesting team, Vanderbilt, to maybe kind of ruffle up the college football landscape with all these seniors, Kalijah Lipscomb, Pinkney at tight end, uh, obviously Keyshawn Vaughn, yep. and bringing in big Riley Neal from Ball State, who's 6'6", with a huge arm. Could be a team to maybe uh, upset a couple others in the SEC. Yeah, this year. A tough way to open. They opened with Georgia last week, right? That's but right. now they go and they play a Purdue team that had a really tough loss yeah. uh, last weekend. So uh, we'll see if Vanderbilt can get in the in the win column. Obviously, one of these teams getting their first win of the season. Well, uh, Ben, excited to catch up with you next week at this time. We'll talk Tennessee BYU. Uh, thanks again for joining us here on Saturday Scouting. Well, great stuff from Ben there as always, and, and to me, like that's my favorite segment of the show because you know you look at Ben and he does a great job of highlighting some of the best names to watch in any given game, especially the game that he's doing. And you know, look, we all got a head start on Hamza Nazardine last week. You know, one of the biggest players in one of the best games of the weekend, all because Ben was able to highlight him during his pre-scouting work, and, and Hamza actually obviously had a huge game. So make sure you're always tuning in uh, to what Ben's got to say on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. All right. Uh, uh, before we move on to the next segment, I hope you guys are all enjoying the uh, the new podcast artwork for the Journey to the Draft podcast. New logos debuted uh, this week here on Labor Day on Monday, so you got to see new logos for the Journey to the Draft, for Feeding the Birds, for Eagle Eye in the Sky, for the Eagles Insider podcast with Dave Spear, all of our podcast channels. New artwork, new look for the 2019 season, and if you're in the surrounding area, if you're in the Philadelphia region... Just keep an eye, keep an eye out around the city, whether it's you know billboards or you know regional rail or the uh, public transportation circuit. Uh, keep a close eye out. If you see you know Eagle Eye in the Sky artwork or the Eagles Insider artwork, uh, take a quick photo and uh, share it on Facebook or share it on Twitter uh, and shoot me a tag over on at FW3. I'll be sure to uh, share it all out. Really good stuff um, from our marketing team with putting all that stuff together. Really excited uh, about the new look for all the shows. All right, let's get into the next segment now. I teased it earlier. Let's catch up with Tony Pauline from the Pro Football. Football Network now in Draft Buzz. 
Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, we're back again for a second installment of Draft Buzz for the college football regular season here in 2019. Joining us once again, draft analyst extraordinaire from the Pro Football Network, one Tony Pauline. You can follow him on Twitter at Tony Pauline. Tony, uh, let's get things started. You know, this is a Draft Buzz segment, all right? So you are the best when it comes to inside the matters that are all you know, all things NFL draft. So behind the scenes, especially this time of year, Tony's the only one that is breaking news. That stuff that happens so far in advance. You know, I've said this before. Tony will break something in September, in October, early November that happens eight, nine, ten weeks later that gets rebroken because it's been so long since Tony brought it back up. Tony, I don't know if you got that kind of juice for us to start things off here uh, for week two, but let's go. Through the grapevine, what do you got for us here on our first little uh, segment here of Draft Buzz? Well, I just may, and obviously a lot of things uh, need to be, need to play out. But you know, a little revisionist history. At this time a year ago, when we started this podcast, I said that the word was that Julian Love, the cornerback from uh, Notre Dame, was going to enter the draft at the end of the year. What I'm hearing right now is that all signs point towards Gabriel Davis, Gabe Davis, the receiver from Central Florida very likely to enter mm. the draft, assuming he stays healthy, assuming he has a good season, and he's off to a good season. Three receptions for 68 yards and two touchdowns. Granted, it was against Florida A&M, but that, uh, he had one long touchdown catch of 37 yards, which was a thing of beauty. You know, when we, when we went over our, uh, our first uh, podcast of the season, we were talking about players from the AAC. Davis was my highest-rated prospect in the AAC. Uh, he's a tall, long uh, natural pass catcher, plays with excellent body control. He's not a speedster, but he's got sneaky speed. He's a solid mm. vertical receiver, although I think he's the type of guy that's probably going to run in the high four fours. I have him graded as a uh, as a second-round choice. You know, He's going to be playing against Stanford, who's got a good uh, secondary. Pittsburgh is on the uh, Central Florida schedule. They've got a good uh, secondary. Uh, you know, Your former alma mater, Temple, always finds guys in the secondary, so uh, a lot needs to be played out, but from what I'm hearing right now, Gabe Davis, Gabriel Davis, however you want to, whatever he goes by, it, uh, the receiver from Central Florida, very likely to enter the NFL draft, the 2020 NFL draft. Yeah, I remember Prashad Perriman kind of came out of nowhere for for UCF and uh, was a first round pick and kind of a similar you know body type in terms of a bigger kid who can run a little bit. Uh, I don't know much about Davis outside of what you, you know you just said. I know he's a bigger kid that can move a little bit. Uh, excited to kind of dig into him a little bit. One of the bigger players uh, that we've talked about outside of the Power Five. Obviously, Jordan Love uh, being the the biggest name of that group. A guy we've talked about plenty on this podcast. Had a, a near win against an ACC foe this past weekend against uh, Wake Forest. Uh, Tony, did you watch any of that game at all? The, the Utah State-Wake Forest game Friday night? Watched it all. It was one, except for maybe uh, Auburn, uh, Auburn, Oregon. Okay. It was probably yep. the best game of the weekend. I mean, it was so so back and forth. It was one of those games that you know you thought whoever had the ball last was mm. going to win. I thought Jordan Love played very well. I think Jordan Love tried to do too much at times, mm. which led to the three interceptions, uh, which led to the loss of Utah, but Utah by Utah State. Or of Utah State, but you can see why scouts rank him so highly. You can see why I put him in, in the top 12 when I did a mock draft uh, last May. I mean, he's he's got excellent size. He's got a terrific arm, but he's also smart. I mean, for the most part, you know, he sees the field. He read, does a good job reading defenses. He knows where his receivers are, has complete command and control of that offense. And like, what, again, when we spoke about the first podcast uh, during the first podcast of the season, you were wondering how he was going to do with the new head coach. Yep. I mean, he didn't he didn't skip a beat. I mean, it, it was just one continuation. And he doesn't have the greatest targets there at Utah State either. No, I, I fully believe that Jordan Love, when it's all said and done, whether it's next year or the year after, he's going to be in top 10 discussion. I think he's that kind of prospect uh, from a physical standpoint total package uh, at the quarterback spot. All right, let's go to our, our next subject here. Stock up from the weekend, our, our first official weekend of college football, full slate of games between uh, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, all the way up through Monday night, Louisville and Notre Dame. Pick a guy. Who's, who's someone who really helped themselves in last weekend's action? I got to say Patrick Taylor, the running mm. back from Memphis, because, you know, he was highly rated, even though he barely touched the ball in 2018, because the uh, Memphis Tigers had Daryl Henderson and Tony Pollard, two guys who were selected in the third and fourth round, respectively. He, he, scouts thought he was a late round pick. There's talk about him being a mid round pick. You just didn't know it uh, with Patrick Taylor because 
he, there was no room for him to play at Memphis because, you know, they, they had so much depth at the running back position. He comes in 128 yards on 27 carries on, on one touchdown against what is a relatively good Ole Miss defense. I mean, they've got several uh, draft picks in that front seven. They got a couple of guys that are great as top one in, well, 125 picks on a defensive line. And he just ran through them, had a couple of nice uh, pass receptions. Uh, I think Patrick Taylor basically went beyond expectations the first game of the season against what could be one of the most difficult defenses he's going to play all year. Yeah, I remember talking with both Henderson and with uh, Tony Pollard this uh, this spring at the Combine, and both guys were just, I would say, over the top with their praise of Patrick Taylor, a guy that clearly, like you said, just not enough carries to go around for him to really put a big dent uh, and really get noticed on a national scale. But uh, look, a, a guy who's got talent and it, going into his final season can certainly help himself. And uh, I didn't watch any of Memphis uh, this past weekend, but uh, I will take your word for it. Stock up for Patrick Taylor helping himself. Who's someone on the other side of the coin now that maybe went the other way with uh, a not as great performance from this past weekend? Well, I'm going to go with two guys, and the first one is going to be from that Memphis-Mississippi game, and it's going to be Kadir Shepard. I mean, Kadir Shepard, the edge rusher, uh, was graded as a potential fourth-round pick by from uh, by some scouts. Finished the game with one uh, one tackle assist and one quarterback hurry. It was basically invisible, and I just never saw it with Kadir Shepard. I mean, uh, as far as my rankings were concerned, I gave him a free agent grade because he's too much of a tweener. He doesn't have a great size for the defensive end, doesn't have the great speed to stand him up and play uh, as a pass rushing linebacker. I just don't know what the scouts saw in him to give him a fourth-round grade, and he looked and played like the free agent that I branded or stamped him as before the season began. So he was my number one guy with stock down. The other guy's got to be Jake Bentley. I mean, did not play well in North Carolina. Mm. Everyone expected South Carolina to beat up on the Tar Heels. They ended up losing the game. Bentley barely uh, barely completed 50% of his passes. He has a foot injury, so now yeah. he's on the sidelines. And, and really, Bentley's one of those guys that needed a big, big season to really rebound and, and rehabilitate his draft stock, if you will. Yeah. And, and now it looks like it, it's going to be really a, a tough road for him to haul. Yeah, a guy that I know is is very well respected by teammates. A lot of people were excited coming into the year for Bentley. Uh, performed well at the Manning Passing Academy. It seemed like he had started to maybe turn some things around after an up and down last couple of seasons, but not a great start, obviously, uh, for him or for the Gamecocks in 2019. All right, uh, let's go. We talked a little bit about you know some of these guys with Gabe Davis and Jordan Love. Some of these guys outside the Power Five. Uh, you mentioned Patrick Taylor as well. So. Let me ask you another one. Uh, small school standout, a player that's outside of the Power Five conferences that really should be on our radar now as we get further and further into the college season. Well, I'm going to go, not only am I going to go outside Power Five, I'm going to go outside the BCS, I'm going to go outside Division 1A, and I'm going to go with a tight end from Portland State by the name of, I'm going to try and pronounce the last name right, Charlie <laughs> Tamapeo, a tight that's end. That's not who, bad. I, I'm kind of proud of you. There you go. Who uh, against an Arkansas defense, which is pretty good. I mean, they got some good players on the defensive line. They got a linebacker that's going to be drafted. Uh, led all receivers with four receptions for 56 yards and one touchdown. I mean, he's got excellent size, uh, six two and a half. Goes about 250 pounds. Runs and plays in the four sixes. He's got a huge amount of upside. You know, this is going to be the toughest competition they play, and he answered the call. You know, after this, it's probably going to be uh, big sky schools. And, and Tom Apeo, I, I believe, is a guy that we could see in the Shrine game. I think we'll absolutely uh, we could see in the Senior Bowl. I think we're absolutely going to see him uh, at the Shrine game. Uh, worst case scenario, but uh, that was a big performance uh, against you know uh, an SEC foe. And even though Arkansas has had its problems, they're still an SEC team. And for a guy like from Portland State to go in there, four catches for 56 yards and one touchdown, uh, when they know. That if the, when the ball's in the air, it's going to go to Tomapeo. I thought that was a terrific performance by him. All right, well, let's uh, let's get into this weekend's action now. We have a couple of really big, interesting matchups here for Week 2 of college football. What's one matchup in particular that you are most excited to watch? I think from the point of view that it really one player has got a lot riding on his draft stock, it's got to be LSU versus Texas. Because mm -hmm. we've gone back and forth on this podcast about Colin Johnson. I happen to think he's overrated. Coming into the season, there are some scouts that graded him as a top 42 selection. I think he's a third-round choice. He's a very good pass catcher, but I question his speed. I question his quickness. I question the fact that he's nothing other than a, a large-body receiver in the Big 12 who just beats down on opponents. We're going to see if I'm right or wrong this weekend because against LSU, he's going to be going up some devastating players in the secondary. Grant Delpit, the safety, who I think is going to be a top 15 selection. 
Christian Fulton, the cornerback, the senior, who a lot of scouts grade as a first-round pick. Carrie Vincent, a guy who's kind of on the outside looking in. A little bit of a smaller guy, but a guy who's got great ball skills. I mean, these are all guys that I grade as either first or second round choices. And Colin Johnson's, uh, Colin Johnson's got to show that you know he can separate from these guys because he's not going to outmuscle Grant Delpit. He's not going to outmuscle Christian Fulton. I mean, those guys play big football. They play they play uh, hard, hard nosed, nasty football. So he's got to show that he's got some other moves. And I like Colin Johnson as a player. I just don't think he projects all that well. And to a lesser extent, I think it's a, it's a big game for Sam Ellinger to prove that, you know, he has next level ability. He's got the stuff to be a uh, next level quarterback, which I question. Yeah, Tony, honestly, I wouldn't sleep on Devin DuVarnay either, the, the other senior receiver for the Texas Longhorns. You know, you and I, I think we see Colin Johnson the same way and some of the struggles that, you know, some of these bigger receivers have with transitioning to the NFL. I look at DuVarnay as a guy that's a little bit smaller. He's got a return background. He's got a track background as well. This guy's got some speed, but he also shows some nuance as a route runner. And like Johnson, he gets after it as a blocker. There are a lot of things to like about DuVarnay. I think he's got uh, a translatable skill set, a guy that can fit in as a number three or number four receiver uh you know again i i like his skill set a guy that i think is a little bit underrated right now uh around the country i would keep an eye on duvarnay in this game as well against that talented secondary like you mentioned christian fulton grant delpit uh certainly a matchup that i would watch another one that i'm going to bring up is the other big game this week and that's clemson texas a&m a lot of big players to watch uh in this game we know about the clemson backfield with quarterback trevor lawrence with the running back travis Etienne. a huge game last week uh you know over 200 rushing yards, I believe, for ETN. They've got talented receivers. They've got guys on defense. But I want you to watch this Clemson offensive line. And we talked about John Simpson and you know some of those other names. Um, but I really like the the right guard, right tackle, uh, Tremaine Ankrum. And going up against this Texas A&M defensive line, they've got a kid, Justin Matabike, 6'3", 304. He kind of played a little bit of DN, a little bit of D-tackle for them in the past. He's got some bend to him. He's got heavy hands. He plays with natural legs. I like his pad level. Uh, does some really good things. I'd like to see his rush plan just get a little bit better, and I'd like to see a little bit more urgency in pursuit. But you know, when you watch Matabike, you can see the upside. You can see the athleticism, the ability to get on the other side and make some plays against Ankara, a guy that I think, yeah, doesn't have great natural tools. He's a little bit squatty. He doesn't have great length. But I'll tell you what, he's just got a great feel for playing in pass protection. So this is a matchup that I'm really excited to watch. I'm going to see where Matabike officially lines up. They, they, Like I said, they do slide him up and down the line. But uh, an interesting one-on-one matchup there, potentially, between Ankrum and Matabike. All right, uh, last question for you. We're going to go into our mock draft roundup, and this week we're going to go to Matt Miller from Bleacher Report who released his first mock draft of the 2019 regular season. Has the Eagles selecting Penn State defensive end Yator Gross Matos, high upside rusher. We talked about him a little bit uh, back in the summer when we did our Big Ten preview, so you can go check that out if you haven't listened to it already. Uh, Gross Matos, 6'5", under 260 pounds, right around that area. Uh, what are your thoughts on Gross Matos and the value there late in round one? I think it's actually not bad. And I mean, usually I, I think most of the these selections, they take guys too early, like last week with uh, Jalen Rager, the, the uh, receiver from uh, TCU. But, you know, I, I, I have him graded Gross Matos as a late first, early second round choice. And I think when you look at him, he is the type of pass rusher that the Eagles have brought into the franchise that have had success with going back to the kid from Cincinnati that was a linebacker that uh, last Yep. Exactly. I mean, he's a little bit, he's a little bit undersized. Gross Matos is, is a little bit bigger, but he's still, he's a slightly undersized. He's very athletic. He's a speed rusher that can get around the edge that has just got to add some bulk and improve his, uh, his ability and run defense. So I, I think it, as far as I'm concerned, uh, it fits as where I think Gross Matos will fall in the draft. And I think it's also a good fit for the Philadelphia Eagles defense. Yeah, obviously a teammate of the draft pick Sharif Miller uh, from this spring. And I think when you look at Gross Matos, a guy that if you just took like his top five, top ten plays, say, yeah, like you're cooking with gas with this kid. I mean, you mentioned he's 6'5", but he's 260, so uh, a little bit leaner, but a guy that you know can turn the corner for a big, long guy. And, and he's got some impressive uh, plays on film. 
I'd like to see a little bit more consistency out of him. Uh, you mentioned like to get a little bit bigger and stronger. I'd like to see him get a little bit more powerful uh, on contact. But uh, a guy that for sure has flashes. We'll see what he looks like this year. I know uh, our friend Ross Tucker has said that he will be a future first-round pick whenever he decides to come out, and he kind of saw that very early on in Gross Matos' career. Well, Tony, uh, appreciate it once again here for joining us. Thanks for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We will talk to you next week here on Draft Buzz. Look forward to it. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Rashard Lawrence, a guy that I've known about for the last couple of seasons. He's been a longtime starter there. He's a former big-time recruiter. He was the top 25 player in the country coming out of high school, five-star kid. So I've always he's always kind of been on my radar, but didn't study him until recently. And I, I really liked what I saw. So I want to share some of my notes uh, on this kid. 6'4", 319 pounds, really well-built, thick, sturdy frame. Uh, three-year starter for Dave Aranda in that 3-4 scheme. They will kind of change their fronts up. So he lines up anywhere from the two-eye technique, which is – the inside shoulder of the guard all the way out to sometimes as a five or even like a seven technique uh, outside the tackle or even the tight end. So he lines up up and down the line, which you like to see. Mostly two-gap, right? So he's going to mostly kind of attack the offensive lineman, put his hands inside, lock him out, drop his weight, try and find the football. He's in charge of either gap on either side of him, and the linebackers behind him just kind of flowing off him and making him right. So when you look at uh, what he's asked to do, he's asked to play at the point of attack. Very violent run defender. I love him at the point of attack. He sets a strong anchor, rarely gives up any ground. He's really good with his hands. He knows what he's doing uh, with himself at the point of attack. Really fun player to watch in the run game. But when they cut this guy loose, and they do ask him to get upfield sometimes, you know, I'm passing downs for sure, but when they ask him to just cut loose and get upfield, this guy's got some explosive traits. He's not just a line of scrimmage dweller that's just going to hang out and defend the run and you know get you a TFL for minus one every once in a while. This guy can shoot upfield. He's got one gap potential. He's got that initial quickness out of his stance. I really liked what I saw from him from that standpoint. And also, he's got a little bit of juice as a pass rusher as well. Worked in a number of different moves. I thought his most reliable, his go-to move was a really quick, sudden double hand swipe. So where he would take both of his hands and real quickly swipe, a hand, swipe away the hands of the offensive lineman, knock them down, and then turn the corner as he got the edge on them. I thought Lawrence was really, really effective with that move. So uh, again, you're talking about a guy with two-gap skill set, but one gap potential. So I love players like that because now you're talking about scheme versatility, position versatility. He can line up on a number of different spots and do some different things for you. At the very least, that gives you backup potential, right? That like you can come in and kind of do a number of different things for a defensive line. For me, I saw a guy that has starting potential, though, as a three down player, probably more of a strong run defender than a natural pass rusher. But I, to me, like if this guy goes down to Mobile, and we talked about this last week with Raekwon Davis, he goes down to Mobile, takes part in one-on-one, shows what he can do. Not to, Look, the one-on-one drills aren't everything, but if you can show that you've got pass rush potential, you've got a little bit more than maybe you showed on an every-down basis in college, now you can start saying, all right, this is how this guy can separate himself from the pack against the top peers uh, on the offensive and defensive line it, at his position. To me, you look, Richard Lawrence is a guy that can really, really help himself. From a negative standpoint, the production hasn't always been there. And so you look at him, and I'd like to see him finish better as a tackler in the backfield, let a couple ball carriers get through his grasp. So, again, you go and you don't have the production to back it up. You weren't necessarily asked to always get after the quarterback. Go to the senior bowl. Show out there. This guy could be a, a riser, I think, uh, as we're talking about getting closer to the NFL draft. Because I think he's going to test pretty well. I do think he lacks just that that secondary quickness. When he gets into the backfield, he can get there. Now react to that secondary movement, right? So if the running back makes a cut in the backfield, you have the ability to stick your foot in the ground, flatten out, and make a play uh, and finish. That's what I really want to see from Rashard Lawrence. This is a guy in this game, look, Texas is going to want to throw the ball. They're going to run it as well. I want to see if this kid can get after the quarterback, impact the game. Rashard Lawrence, the player uh, I was a big fan of on film. So keep an eye out for him in the trenches. They've got another kid, uh, Fahoko, as well, who's a senior nose tackle slash defensive end in that 3-4 scheme. So two senior defensive linemen there for LSU. I'll be keeping an eye on here against Texas. All right, let's wrap this show up. We're going to go over to our draft mailbag segment where this week I got an interesting question about the tight end position. Let's get to it now. It's time for Mr. Relevant. All 
All right, so as always, the number one way to support this show is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen, and leave us a rating or leave us a comment. And while we don't have a comment from any of those pages this week, I do have a good question that I got on Twitter. I uh, solicited for questions on Monday night. This was the best one that I got back, and this is from Rob Statton on Twitter. We've seen a couple of Washington tight ends improve their stock in back-to-back years in Disley and Sample. How does Hunter Bryant, the senior tight end, or the junior tight end, I should say, compare as a four-star athlete who claims Claims to have worked on becoming a more complete tight end. Could he also make a push in 2019? It's a great question, Rob. I haven't done a full study on Bryant, but having just gone back and watched through his targets, now he was really banged up last year, missed most of the season, missed a good chunk of the year before as well. So we're not talking about a full sample size. So number one, you want to see him stay healthy, maintain, you know, stay healthy throughout this full year, play, you know, play a full 13 game, hopefully more uh, season for Washington, and show what you can do. But I want to see a guy, because number one, on film, you see an athletic player. He's a little bit light, but he can move around. I was talking with Ben uh, before the show about him, and he kind of compared him with Evan Ingram. I don't know if he's quite that dynamic, but this is a guy that's got athletic traits. You see that quickness in and out of cuts. You've got some speed to stretch the seam. He can definitely do things from a matchup standpoint in the passing game. He had a great one-handed catch last year. Only 15 targets overall on the season, but a guy that can go up and win at the catch point. They did a lot of different things on different trick plays and misdirection plays, different things to just kind of get him free off the line of scrimmage so you know he's gonna have to be if he wants to be a complete tight end like one of the reasons I loved Sample uh, in this draft and one of the reasons why Disley was seen as a starter as a rookie for Seattle I think when you look at those guys they were complete players maybe they weren't the matchup problem that Bryant was but kind of like when you look at Noah Fant versus TJ Hawkinson last year for Iowa you know those guys were complete players I really liked Sample I was surprised that Sample went as high as he did but I really liked him and I thought he was a three down player in the NFL kind of like how I felt uh, about George Kittle coming out of Iowa a couple of years ago. When you look at these guys, they were able to, to take part in the blocking game as well as be more than adequate receivers. I look at Bryant and I say, all right, Pass game, check. Like I know that he can go and win down the field. I like to see him get a little bit better as a route runner, get a little bit better with his releases off the line. How's he going to deal with contact early in the down? Now I want to see you as a blocker because, number one, he wasn't on the field for a lot of big runs last year, and the ones where he was – he, doesn't, he wasn't necessarily great at the point of attack. So I just want to see him get a little bit better in that realm. You don't have to be a mauler. That, don't get me wrong. You don't have to be a guy that's putting people in the dirt and you know finishing guys 10 yards downfield. I don't necessarily need you to be that. I do need you to be adequate. Don't, get, don't be a, a, the weak link uh, in the run game. And if you can just do a couple different things for you, then uh, now I think you're, you're working with something there. Just want, You want to make it so that when you're on the field, the defense doesn't automatically know it's a pass. You know what I mean? So now that's what you really want to see uh, from Bryant this season in order to be a complete tight end. But this guy is a dynamic athlete and could do a lot of different things for you in the passing game. Great question, Rob. And again, the number one way to get on the show, go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. And look, like I said, it's the number one way to support the show. It helps boost us up the rankings. College football now in full swing. It helps make our podcast more available for other people to be able to view and download and subscribe. So if you haven't yet, Go on, just leave us a rating, leave us a comment, help uh, boost us up the rankings a little bit. All that being said, uh, that'll do it. Uh, another show in the books here for the Journey to the Draft podcast. Really, really excited uh, for another big week of college football. Some big games here on Friday and on Saturday. No, so no Sunday, Monday with the NFL season underway, but uh, some good stuff to be expected here from the college ranks. We will talk to you next week here on the Journey to the Draft podcast.